Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, grab a seat, grab a seat. Howdy! It was a great game last night. Who all went to the game? Yeah, you did. So good, so fun. Um, I really thought we were going to pull out a win. Uh, we've, we've got some props coming. Uh, the, the party's moving. If you have a Bible, we're in Philippians chapter 1, continuing our series in Philippians at this point in the semester. So if you have a Bible, would love for you to flip to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 26. I'm going to read a portion of that for us, pray for us, and then we will jump in. So glad you are here with us this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here, and so glad you're joining with us this morning. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, Paul says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that are imprisoned, to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Now jump down to verse 23. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith so that in me you may have ample cause for glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you for the letter from Paul to the Philippians in which you, you really show the intimacy of a relationship that, that Paul had with this, with this church, with these people. And Lord, I, I pray that as we look at um, this moment in Paul's life, it wouldn't stop with an interesting moment between Paul and, and these people, that we would see that there's, there's truths that Paul is laying out in this section. There's a purpose that Paul has to his life that's, that's inspiring and instructing. And I pray that as we look at it, that you would show us the purpose you would have for our life, that you would inspire and instruct us to follow you even when it's hard. I lift up this text um, to your use, that you would use it to open up our hearts and minds to see you more clearly. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, when I was in high school, we went on a trip with the, with the youth group I was a part of to Enchanted Rock. And uh, it was led by, some, uh, by our church, but also some uh, college guides that they had hired to help lead us uh, on basically a hiking trail. So we, we hiked like through some caves that are there. They're basically like fallen rocks that you kind of hike through. It's kind of interesting if you've ever done it. Uh, and we also went camping uh, while we were there. And so we had these college guides that uh, led us through this little journey. And it was, it was fun and exciting. But at one moment, I believe it was day two, after they had not fed us for a while, they just gave us a, a roll of Ritz crackers and like some cheese Whiz. And we're like, 
like, you're going to be fine, bud. And, uh, and, and so I was hungry and irritable. And then they let us uh, rock climbing. And so they had uh, set up all the ropes so that we could climb up this side of the rock. And I'm a little tired and irritable and, and, and upset that they hadn't given us a decent meal because I was 16 and I ate like three sandwiches for lunch. You know, I was just ate everything in sight. And so I'm very bitter at these guys. And as we kind of climb up one side of it, we get across the edge and then they say, okay, now we're going to go repelling. And so, so they strapped, we're all strapped in. We got our little harnesses on and they they have us over the edge of this cliff and they say, okay, all you need to do is just hold onto the rope, lean back and let your weight carry you down. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these moments, but it was my first time to do anything like this. And so I'm going, I already don't like you. And now you're telling me that this rope is gonna hold me when I lean back with my weight and to trust you to trust you that this is going to carry me through, even though you've led me through all these trials. I'm not sure. And, and it was funny to watch different people respond to this trial, this little crisis. I mean, some people leaned back and as they kind of saw the, the, the cliff right there, that they, they start to like try to climb themselves down with their, uh, with their strength on the rope, just trying to will themselves down. They're like, no, no, just get a lean back and it'll just kind of guide you. And they're like, okay, 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 dude. And then you saw other people. It was typically... Um, the girls, you know, because they, they look at the, you know, sweet eyes of these college guys and they're like, just trust me, just lean back and like, okay, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and you just kind of feel your way down. So you watch some people, they, they trusted easily and they flowed down easily. You look at other people like myself and they kind of struggled their way down, just not sure if we could trust where this person was leading. I don't know if this rope will hold me. I'll tell you what, the same that was true in this little experience, rock climbing, is often true in the Christian life. I think when times get tough, when trials hit your life, you're asking yourself this question, do I trust God to lead me through this? Can I trust in what he has provided to actually carry me through when times get tough, when difficulties come? Can I trust God when the temperature gets turned up in my life? And that's the question that really Paul is going to be answering in this section of Philippians. What he says is when the temperature turns up, you can trust God with your life. And the reason he can say that is because he has a God-sized purpose. He has a God-sized purpose view of his life. But most people don't have a God-sized purpose for their life. In fact, many authors, many thinkers, they'll say, look, if you want to find meaning in life, do a Google search. I encourage you to do it later on. Look at the answers that they come, that they come up with. Most of them say something like this. If you want to find meaning in life, what you need to do is to construct that meaning yourself. If you want to find purpose in life, something to hold on to, you have to create that purpose yourself. You do you, right, is the way that we say it. You find something that works for you, and that will be your purpose. That's what you will hold on to when life gets tough. But I want to challenge that this morning. I want, to, I want to ask the question, when you encounter different circumstances in life, and there's three that I want to look at this morning, how does a created purpose in life stand up when the temperature gets turned up? If you create your own meaning, will it carry you through when the temperatures of life get turned up? When circumstances go south, when you see the success of other people, or when you feel like giving up, will a created meaning carry you through. And we're going to look at Paul's response to that. Here's how Paul encountered those circumstances. And I'm going to show you other thinkers, how, how their view of life carries them in these circumstances. 
So start out, we're going to look at verses, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And his circumstances are tough. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. There's one word I want you to focus on in that verse 13. It's that, it's this, his imprisonment. Paul is in prison. And as I was talking with some other people about last week, I wanted to set up a better context for where Paul is and why he is currently in prison. Jesus died roughly 33 AD. And over the next several years, the gospel began moving slowly until it came to a person named Paul or Saul. He came to faith in Christ in a moment and and then began learning and growing in his relationship with Christ. And soon he uh, came to Antioch and he's there with Barnabas and others. And as he's there in Antioch, we see that, uh, that it became the starting point for his first missionary journey. Paul was a church planter. And he started in Antioch, which is there to the right, around the Mediterranean Sea. You can see Italy there with the boots. You can see uh, the Mediterranean Sea, Greece below it. And he's there in Antioch. And his first missionary journey was basically a a small little circle in this area. He visited places including uh, Seleucia, Cyprus, Pamphylia, Antioch, Pisidia, um, Lyconium, and down. You can look at this more specifically in Acts if you want to do some more research on it. But he basically circled this small little area on his first missionary journey, sharing the gospel. His second missionary journey came several years later, and he started once again in Antioch and went north um, to Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And Timothy, his little buddy, joined him at that point, and they went on to uh, Phrygia, Galatia, Troas, and then later to Macedonia, that's when he met the church of Philippi. So it's during his second missionary journey that he first met this church in Philippi and he shared the gospel there. And then he worked his way back um, all the way to Antioch. And then his third missionary journey, he, he followed a similar route, but he ended in Jerusalem. And during his time in Jerusalem, during this third missionary journey, he was arrested. He was arrested and he was brought before a court because he was preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And so the Jews arrested him. They didn't want the gospel to spread past the Jewish people. And so they arrested him. They thought he was uh, causing insurrection. And so they brought him to the officials there. He went through one imprisonment and eventually they just didn't know what to do with him. And so they brought him all the way. He appealed to Caesar and he worked his way slowly to Rome. He was shipwrecked along the way. It's a weird little journey. And he went into Rome. And at this point in Rome, he wrote four letters known as the prison epistles. They include Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So when Paul is writing this letter, he has been shipwrecked on an island He's been arrested for preaching the gospel and he is sitting under Roman guard, literally night and day with a person chained to him. So every time he has to go to the bathroom, every time he has to go to sleep, he literally is chained to a Roman guard during the writing of these letters. Needless to say, Paul's circumstances have gone south, right? Needless to say, he's, he's in a rough go. I mean, he was arrested and he is sitting under Roman guard. And so, so what's crazy is when our circumstances go south, our circumstances are never really this bad. But I tell you what, what you hold to determines how buoyant you'll be in those circumstances. And there's three moments I want to look at 
when your circumstances go south, when success is lost, when the spotlight fades, or your love relationship fades away. The first one is when success is lost. In 2008, the global economic crisis um, had huge implications. The acting financial chief officer, Freddie Mac, of the federal home loan mortgage, hung himself. The chief executive of Sheldon Young shot himself in the head. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europeans' royal royalty and leading families lost $1.4 billion of his clients' money in the Bertie Madoff scheme and slit his wrists and died in the Madison Avenue office. A Danish senior executive from a bank hung himself. And then when Bear, Bear Stearns' executive learned that he would not be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, he brought his, <laughs> and he had brought his collapse to his firm, he leapt from the 29th floor of an office building. And a friend said this, the Bear Stearns thing broke his spirit. In 2008, there was a global economic collapse. People lost millions, billions of dollars, literally. And when they lost all of their money, when their hope was in what they could provide, they were holding on to that rope to carry them through. When that rope was cut, they realized, my life isn't worth living. And these billionaires took their own lives. When, the, when your success is lost, how do you respond? These men who were at the top of their world said life is not worth living. But what about when the spotlight fades, when, when you're looking for the success and the spotlight goes to someone else? One film director named Sidney Pollack died. And there's an article written about his life and he writes this. Every time I finished a, a film, I feel like I've done something that I'm supposed to do, that there's a sense that I've earned my stay for another year or so. But then he had to start over again. I mean, a phenomenal filmmaker making movie after movie. And each time he finished that little project, he was like, I feel like my life is worth one more year on, on this planet. Or what about love? When the love you search for is lost. One author named Ernest Becker in a book called Denial of Death says, we look for apocalyptic romance. That's what he calls it. We look for the love partner to satisfy all of our deepest meaning and desires. And the problem with that is that no one can do it. I mean, if you're looking for that one to meet all of your emotional needs, all of your physical needs, all of your aspirational needs, that's just a lot to carry. And flip it. I mean, put this on your, on your Twitter feed. Single, looking for someone to meet every emotional need I have, to satisfy my every women desire, to make me feel long, meaningful, purposeful, Complete me in every single way. Call, da, 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 to tweet back. Like, just flip it. I, and you can't do that. I mean, if someone walked up to you and just like, I'm just looking for the one that satisfies me completely, they can't. Your career can't. You, the spotlight can't. Nothing can satisfy the weight of your desires to have purpose and meaning because when those circumstances go south, it becomes something you can't even bear. That becomes crushing. See, the, the truth is this. If you create your own meaning, the changing of circumstances are literally crushing. But look what Paul says. He says, these circumstances aren't crushing. In fact, these circumstances just redirected my life. He says this in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And the most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak without fear. What Paul doesn't say is because I'm in prison, my life has lost its meaning. He says, simply God has redirected my life. I'm not crushed by my circumstances. I realize that, that God's in control of my life. I've got a God-sized picture through these problems. And so I know that God simply redirected my life. If I'm chained to this imperial guard, you know what I have? Someone that has to listen to me preach the gospel 24-7, right? He's like, if I'm chained, guess what we're talking about? Jesus and your need for him, right? I mean, can you imagine this guy? He's chained and he's just preaching the gospel. Hey, have you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you about him. Like, well, I'm kind of busy. Look, I'm writing some letters. I got some stuff going. Let me run it by you as I'm walking through this. And then, I mean, every other prisoner, like they can't go anywhere. So what does that mean? They're fair game, right? And you may feel that way about your roommates, right? You're like, I go home every night. I feel like a prisoner, there's nowhere I can go. I just want to cook food and sit in my room. But I tell you what, you have a captive audience, right? They are not immune from the love of Christ through you. And that's how Paul views every one of his circumstances. I haven't lost. Simply God has redirected my purposes in life. And you know what happens when you do this? Other people get inspired. And, and you see this apart from this. When people see that you handle tough circumstances and get and survive on the other side, you inspire the lives of others. Several years ago, one of the pastors at the Village Church, Matt Chandler, got cancer, got brain cancer. And I remember watching him go bald, which was a good look for him, um, and get surgery on his head, and him praising God through every one of the circumstances. And I looked at his life, and I'm like, that is inspiring because the sickness didn't destroy your purpose in life. Your purpose is to preach the word of God, whether it's good or bad, and you stand there and deliver, even when circumstances are going south. Ben Stewart, a breakaway. He had a major back injury, two major back injuries during his time. And I remember watching that guy walk faithfully with the Lord, not become bitter and dejected, but to be open and honest saying, I have what I have, but I'm still going to proclaim the gospel even in the midst of these challenging circumstances. What they saw is that God is merely redirecting my life. I, he hasn't crushed my purpose in life. The second thing that we see is this, that when you have a God-sized purpose, you can respond better when other people succeed. Verse 15 says it this way. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. You see what he's saying? He's saying, while he's in prison, it's emboldened other people. And what's happened is some people have spoken positively about Paul in his imprisonment. Other people are using this opportunity to, to build their own status. It's like when this church goes down, this other church goes up. And so they're using this opportunity when this 
church went down to, to build their own ego, to, to feel better about themselves. And Paul says, how do I respond when the spotlight goes to someone else, when someone else starts succeeding? What's interesting is that if you have a created meeting, meaning in life, if your meaning in life is based on what you can accomplish, when the spotlight goes to someone else, it is defeating. Success of someone else steals your success. I had a buddy who played pro football. He played college ball at Rice and he played pro football uh, for several different teams. And he described what it looked like to play pro football at that level. He said, you would, you would go play your game on Sunday or Monday. And he remembers at one time he had Monday night football he was uh, on the Monday Night Football starting lineup and he had a sack on Monday Night Football. It was like the biggest moment of his career. And he's like, this was awesome. And the next day he goes to practice. He says, here's what it's like each, each next day of practice. Someone got injured from the game before. Like any number of people, someone got injured. Could have been a receiver, could have been a running back. Someone got injured. And the team needs to replace that player. And so they look for people to cut, money to shave, so they can get a new player to fill in that spot. He says, so literally we would do our practice and there would be tryouts after every practice for new players to take your spot. And you could have had a great game, but you may still get cut because they need a new receiver and they need cap space to cut you out. And I looked at this, I'm like, so wait a minute. Every day you may have a great game on Monday and the next day, someone else is vying for your job. He's like, yeah, it's like this. Like, like, it'd be like, Kevin, you preaching a sermon on Sunday, and there being a line of guys like auditioning for your job the next day. And I'm like, that's hard. I was like, how do you respond to that? And he's like, honestly, you don't want them to succeed. You don't want them to win. Because if, if they are good enough to take your spot and cheap enough to be affordable, you lose your livelihood. The success of others is actually defeating. Comedians are this, viewed it the same way. I watched several comedians talk about what happened when the spotlight went to someone else and they lost their audience. They lost their opportunities to speak. And they said, literally, it was crushing. Madonna, great singer back in the 80s and early 90s. She says this, I have an iron will. And all of my life is pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. She says, when I see the success of others, I realize that I'm inadequate and I've got to overcome them. I've got to prove that I'm better. When they're winning, I'm actually losing because the spotlight has gone to someone else. So I have to prove that I'm better than them. And you know what's, what's crazy about that? is that it's always been that way. Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel, they both gave a sacrifice to God. Two brothers, the first two brothers, you may come from a dysfunctional family, but let me just tell you about this family, right? They both had a sacrifice to God. Abel's was accepted by God, Cain's was not. And so what did Cain do to, to even the score? He says, God will love me better if I just get rid of the competition. He'll have to like what I give if I just butt him out of the way. And so he takes out his brother. And so what's God's option? Me. You're like, that's dark. I know. But we do that all the time. I remember in the youth group I grew up in, 
Whenever a new cute girl would come to the youth group, there was a constituency of other girls that needed to take her down, right? And it doesn't end in high school. You may be in organizations where where that new funny girl comes in, that new cute girl, that new funny guy, that new cute guy comes into your organization, and you're like, he is too strong. I must take him out, right? Because if the spotlight was to move to them, suddenly you lose. Like you lost who you are. You see the limits of what you have. And when the spotlight goes to someone else, when you see someone else succeed, it can literally be crushing. But Paul has a God-sized vision of his life. God has a God-sized vision of his life. And here's what he says in verse 15. He says, some do preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Someone, some people are out for their own, but others from goodwill. The latter do it knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. There's, there's people that are preaching the gospel for good reason. The former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There's people that, are, that, are, that see themselves in competition with me, but Paul doesn't see himself in competition with them. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. What is Paul's anchor? What is the rope that Paul is hanging on to? He's not hanging on to his success. He's not hanging on to his spotlight. He says, I'm hanging on to the gospel of Christ. I'm holding on to that truth going forward. And so no matter what people are saying, if God is my goal, If the gospel is what's most important, I can hang on to that. And no matter what situation comes my way, it doesn't matter as long as the gospel is going forth. Every now and then I'll talk with some people and they'll talk to me about other churches in this community. And they'll say, I go to this church, I go to that church. And, 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 and in some ways, and, and in nice ways, they're trying to say like, hey, well, this one's better for me, this one's better for me. And I go, and literally I say to them, I've got friends on pastoral staff at every one of those churches. And here's what I would tell you. They're great. Go to Declaration. Go listen to Blake Chilton. He loves the Lord. He's great. Go to Antioch. Go listen to Tyler, Chris Pletcher, who's a really beloved friend of mine. Mitchell, I love those men. Go. If you go to Central, I would say, go. Wes is a great college pastor there. There are so many churches in this community that are bringing the gospel forth and we're not in competition. We're not trying to be better than them. We're trying to be all on the same team, moving in the same direction. The way this really played out for me was uh, when Breakaway hosted a dinner for different college ministers all around the community. And they all got together. And I remember sitting um, at one table and seeing all these men that I know and love at all these different tables. And I walked over and gave Blake a big hug. And I walked over to other pastors and gave them big hugs because we're not competing with one another. If we're preaching the gospel, we're on the same team. We may do it differently, but if the gospel is going forth, I can celebrate those men. I don't need the spotlight. Jesus needs the spotlight. And if we focus on him, it doesn't matter who's numerically higher It doesn't matter who gets the spotlight as long as Christ is the one winning. You live before an audience of one. 
before everyone else, you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. So you celebrate the success of others. But what happens when you feel like quitting? I love this last section of 19 through 26, and it's the biggest section. And it's probably one of the most honest sections of Paul's life. Because literally Paul in this section is contemplating his own death. When he literally feels like giving up in life, how do, you, how do you respond when you literally feel like giving up in life? He says this, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, I will not be put to shame. Isn't that interesting? He says, Christ will be honored in my life, whether I live or die. He's gonna be in on, on trial. He is in prison and he may live or he may die. He does not know his future, but he says, regardless of what happens, when I feel like quitting, I know that my life still has meaning. But what if you create your own meaning? If you create your own meaning, death is the death nail to your life. Thomas Nagel, atheist writer, writes it this way. Even if you produce a great work of literature, which continues to be read for a thousand years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse and all trace of your efforts will vanish. The problem is that although there are justifications for many things, big and small, that we do within our life, none of these explanations explain the point of your life as a whole. It wouldn't matter if you had never existed. And after you are gone out of existence, it won't matter that you did exist. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, look, the, if, if you look at your contributions in life, even if you wrote the best work of art and your, your book was read for thousands of years, when you die, the universe will slowly cool, will slowly end, and your contribution will be forgotten in the wasteland of life. You will not ultimately have purpose. Leo Tolstoy saw this reality in his 50s and it unnerved him. Leo Tolstoy, great writer, he writes this, Something strange began to happen to me at age 50. I had a wife who loved me and whom I loved. And I had a large estate, which without much effort on my part increased. My name was respected. I enjoy physical strength. And yet I could not live because of death. The question which brought me to the verge of suicide sought an answer without which one cannot live. Is there any meaning in life that my inevitable death does not destroy? Today or tomorrow, death will come to those I love and then to me. Soon, not only will I not exist, but eventually no one will exist. Who will remember anything I've written or done? Why then go on with the effort? What is it all for? What does it all lead to? What difference does it make whether or not I did this thing or that thing or nothing at all? Tolstoy in his 50s realized there is no ultimate meaning in life if I just have to create it because when I die, my contributions are done. But Paul says this, whether I live or die, Christ will be honored in my body. 
And he says this in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I do not know which to choose. I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that's far better if I die. But to remain on the, fle- on in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith so that you may have ample cause for joy. I love this perspective and I wanna drive this home with this illustration. I think most of us in life have a me-sized view. This is you. Most of us in life have a me-sized view. And so when you walk into any room, your first thought is about me. So if someone has a fun story, you're like, that's incredible. Let me tell you about me. Someone has like a a, a great uh, accomplishment that they just did. That's so great. You got the internship. Let me tell you about me. And I think for most of us, we walk through the world with a me-sized picture. And so when bad things happen to me, we can't see beyond me, right? When, when you get sick or family members hurt or things don't go your way, everything is centered around me. And so I can't see beyond me. Most of us live life with a me-sized picture, but that's not Paul. What Paul has is what I'm calling a God-sized picture of himself. Paul realized, I'm not the biggest thing going. I'm small Paul. I'm just a little guy. And I know that, that God is the biggest thing going in life. Everything else in life is, is just me walking through life. And so I may walk into prison. It's the best I could do. I may be in prison with my life. My circumstances may be really south. And you know what I see in prison? Opportunity, not obstacles. I see an opportunity to share the gospel. Why? Because prison is small compared to the bigness of God. This circumstance is small compared to the bigness of God. Well, what about the success of others? Paul's just a blue ball, right? And he gets thrown into the mix of all these colorful white and orange balls, right? Some balls that are so much more important than his little blue ball, right? And in that moment, what does he say? If they shine brightly, if you play ping pong with these other ones, what do I care? As long as the purpose of God stands, it doesn't matter what happens. Well, what happens when life becomes overwhelming? What happens when life gets really tough? What happens when the floods of life literally make you want to quit? Paul says, I can float. I have a buoyant life. Why? Because when I've got a God-sized vision, not a me-sized perspective, it can carry me through any circumstance I'm in. What about you? Do you have a me-sized perspective of life or do you have a God-sized? When you look at all of your challenges in life, do you have a me-sized or a God-sized? And it makes all the difference in the world. Michael Phelps, famous swimmer, won a couple of gold medals. In 2012, he had 18 gold medals to his his count. And in 2014, he got his second DUI. He got a drug possession charge as he was smoking marijuana. And he had to go to rehab. And his life was in disarray. 
And then someone intervened with him. A man named Ray Lewis and gave him a single book, The Purpose Driven Life. And as he read The Purpose Driven Life, he realized, my life doesn't have purpose. I've won all of these gold medals. I have all of these accolades, but my life still doesn't have purpose. And so I'm trying to find it, chasing these other things. And he writes this, or he says this in an interview on ESPN. It's turned me into believing, reading The Purpose Driven Life. There's a power greater than myself. And there's a purpose for me on this planet. It helped me when I was in a place where I needed the most help. See, every one of us is going to come to God-sized problems. Or to us, they feel like God-sized problems. But if we have a me-centered perspective, you'll never be able to stand. But if you have a Paul-sized perspective on yourself and a God-sized perspective on his purposes, you can endure any circumstance. One of my favorite missionaries is a guy named David Livingston. He went to Africa to preach the gospel. And it was hard. At the time that he went, it was called, Africa was called the white man's graveyard because every time they sent a white person there, they would die. And he writes, a, a, a reporter went and went to find him as he was preaching the gospel there. And he said this, people talk of the sacrifice that I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa, but can that be called a sacrifice? Which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owned to our God, which can never be repaid? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthy activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a view, such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice, say rather, rather a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with the foregoing of common conveniences and charities of this life, may cause us to pause and the spirit to waver and sink but let it only be for a moment. All of these are nothing with compared with the glory which shall be hereafter. I never made a sacrifice. We ought not even talk that way. Why could David Livingston say that? Because he had a God-sized view for his life. And so no matter where you land, that is the rope that will carry you through. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I know that so many of us have never really thought about our perspective in life. We never really thought about the purposes we are chasing. But Lord, I pray that as we look at Paul's buoyant life, the fact that any moment he walked into, it wasn't, um, it wasn't crushing, it wasn't crippling, because you were the center of his focus. You were the center of his life. And so no matter where he landed, he could praise you and live for you. I know so many of us are looking for purpose in life in this place, and we're looking for in a career or the one or some other pursuit we're chasing. I pray that we would see that those pursuits will never lead lasting satisfaction. They can only be found as we align our lives behind you. So Lord, I lift up these discussions. I pray that you would give us insight into our own lives and insight in how to apply this how you would want. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.
Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith. And we are just here to dig a little bit deeper into the sermons and uh, talk a little bit more about what's coming up in our ministry. So uh, we are we're here at the beginning of a new series mm-hmm. in the book of Philippians. Yes, we are. And it's really exciting. It is fun. The semester has been uh, amazing. It's been a great kickoff. And uh, this back half of the semester, we've been uh, doing a sermon series in Philippians and uh, going through it a little bit different pacing between across our two campuses. Mm-hmm. But uh, it has been a great start to the semester. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we, and just kind of reading through the book of Philippians, we um, really, we saw kind of this, this theme of, of how uh, Paul's, you know, writing to these people uh, that he knows and loves, uh, we'll talk about here in a second, but he just, uh, in, in his writing to him, he really seems to be guiding their attention and their affections, kind of like pointing them onto kind of a, a good path. You know, he's encouraging them and he's thankful for them and all that great stuff, but he's also sort of bringing them back to sort of the, the basic kind of fundamental focuses of their faith. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where we, where we go from here. We've been um, looking at a couple different focuses so far. We have a few more weeks to go. Yeah. Um, but we really want to take a moment and just sort of set up the book, like kind of set up like who, who is Paul actually talking to? Because a, a lot of, there's a lot of confusion mm-hmm. or not really confusion, just sort of uncertainty and unawareness. Um, from students about like, okay, so Paul was like a guy and he just like wrote letters to like random people and like mm. put them in a bottle and threw them out his window. Well, like and, what? E- and even other than that, you know, sometimes it, it feels like, okay, this is this mystical book that is kind of unapproachable and kind of difficult to understand. And so may- maybe it's uh, just truisms or sayings, right. but but don't understand how uh, how it was compiled, how it was written. So... Yeah, simply to jump off, you know, Paul was uh, a Jewish man. Uh, he was trained um, at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a, a Roman citizen. He was an educated man, uh, but he was also Jewish and, and uh, a part of a group of Jewish zealots uh, or Jewish uh, political party called the Pharisees that were uh, conservative and really uh, oppressive to cr- the Christians, the early Christian movement. And uh, you read in Acts that Paul was actually on the forefront of the Christian persecution until a moment in Damascus, his Damascus Road experience. Right. He saw the light. Jesus just showed up and was like, stop it. And he was like, oh, okay. And so then he changed, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, so then he, you know, went on, on uh, you know, he, he kind of got trained up. He he had some really great guys like Barnabas pour into him and, and disciple him and um, prepare him for just sort of a new phase of ministry. Yeah. And he started off really just being a sold-out awesome missionary, like just moving from kind of epicenter to epicenter, preaching the gospel and planting churches, yeah. uh, which is where Philippians comes from. Yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> on his first missionary journey, he was kind of in a, in a smaller area um, traveling, um, starting from Antioch. But then, yeah, his second missionary journey, he ventured further. Um, ma- mainly his missionary journeys all centered around the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And so he traveled by boat to different cities and usually go to synagogues, uh, preach the gospel, and people would come to faith. And really, he was the first major church planter that our church, that the church, the big C church, has ever seen and was phenomenal at starting up churches from nothing mm-hmm. and and spreading the gospel. And so 
he had three major missionary journeys that we know of. Uh, most of those are talked about in Acts. Mm-hmm. And then after his third missionary journey, he made a trip to Jerusalem and got arrested for bringing a Gentile into the uh, the temple area, a guy named Trophimus from Ephesus. And at that point, they, they arrested him. They brought him to trial. He declared, no, nah, I'm preaching the gospel to everyone, not just Jewish people, but everyone. They didn't like it. And, and so they start sending him from to Caesarea Philippi to, to other uh, governors in order to persecute or prosecute him. He appeals to Caesar. So as a Roman citizen, he had that unique luxury to actually have his court case heard by the emperor. Mm-hmm. And so that brought him all the way to Rome. Mm-hmm. And so while in Rome, he writes four letters known as the prison epistles. And those include Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, a little uh, letter to um, a slave owner known as Onesimus. Oh, man, you're digging deep Boom. now. Boom. Boom. Look at, that. <laughs> Look at that background. That's gay. So Philippians, uh, man, he loved that group, and they had supported him all the way through. Mm-hmm. They had supported him financially. They'd sent people with uh, with money and, and, and gifts to him. And, and Philippians, as a letter, is in the most part a thank you. He's saying, hey, life's been tough. <laughs> It's been rough. I've been shipwrecked. Uh, I've had I've been arrested for for no good reason. I'm and at this point he is most likely under house arrest or even chained to a Roman soldier. So he is in a rough spot. And at this point he's just saying, Philippians, thank you for supporting me. But as well, he's also giving us some instruction. Here's here's some things to think about and continue in mm. as you continue to spread the gospel from Philippi to the world. Yeah. So that's basically the the run up to the book, and then yeah, a little preview of the book itself. And we're really excited. We're going to be in it for another uh, five weeks, and so right. uh, just walking through his letter and his instruction, and yeah, and just his gratitude, and the the grace and the love that just sort of you you see in the words and in in the writing is just it's really apparent and it's really beautiful. Um, yeah. Personalizes our scripture a little bit. Uh, instead of just seeing it as some sort of, you know, instruction manual or textbook. so And some of your favorite verses, your favorite coffee mugs, all come from the book of Philippians. Oh, for sure. Like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Mm -hmm. Every Letterman jacket, Bible verse reference. I can do all things through Christ, through strengthens me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, wreck this football field. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Every time. So that's where we'll be digging. Uh, We have one major announcement that we want to make before we sign off here, and that is about our Grace Fellows program. Yeah, we, um, we're really excited to uh, be kind of a few months into this year, but uh, we're already looking at the next, <laughs> as many students are, especially those that are graduating. And so um, one of the things that we start talking about right now is um, what it would look like to work at Grace, what it would look like to work on staff with us uh, in college ministry or maybe even in our youth ministry or children's ministry, any, any you know, lots of different departments. Um, but we would love to just talk with you if you're a student and you're graduating, if you're looking for basically just uh, an opportunity to gain a little bit more perspective into how God's equipping you and and maybe if you're called to vocational ministry or, or or not man it's just it's a really great opportunity to be exposed and get experience uh in a, in a new in a, just sort of a wide variety of ministry contexts um in this kind of 
brief little unique window post-college before you, you know, get locked into a career and a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really, it's, it's a unique opportunity to just sort of step away and say, hey, I'm going to see what God does with me in ministry. Just maybe that's something that I've been leaning towards for a while. Maybe it's a brand new idea that I just kind of want to, want to pursue, want to try it out. Um, but we would love to talk more uh, with anyone about that. So if you have any questions, uh, if you want to just have a conversation, I mean, we're, we're, our doors are open, our inboxes are open. Um, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. And Anytime. you can get more information about the Fellows Program at www.grace-bible.org slash fellows. So yep. any more information can go, go be found on our website. So thank you so much for joining us on the Grace College Podcast. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>